investing in property makes sense. Investing in the right property takes knowledge. Welcome to the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. I'm Jared McCabe, Director of Wakeland Property Advisory. Join me for expert insights into the fundamentals, trends and opportunities to help you create long-term wealth through smart property decisions. Hi everyone and thanks for joining me for episode 13 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. So the lockdowns are certainly becoming a regular thing, particularly here in Melbourne. Um, and what it's doing to the market is it's actually leading to a fair amount of particularly pent-up supply, but demand as well. Part of that is that uh, there's many vendors who've been planning to put properties on the market throughout August and into September, and it's proving to be quite difficult when you're not able to get certain things done to the property and able to put them on the market. Um, and as a result, they're holding back and holding back until they they can be sure that buyers will be able to inspect property. So it is um, leading to a bit of frustration, and it's, but it's also keeping the market um, ticking along quite well. Obviously, this year we've seen a fair bit of FOMO, which has driven the market, that uh, buyer fear of missing out and really having the uncertainty and wanting to make sure they get into the market as soon as possible. There's been a lot of talk of underquoting too around uh, price assessments, and generally it's just been a really tough market to buy in at present. So what I wanted to discuss today was the best way to assess a property's market value in a rising market, and what are some of the key considerations from a buyer's perspective to take into account. So I thought the first place that we should probably start is um, the typical three ways that are used to uh, assess value for residential property. Um, First one being to capitalize the rental income, the second being the summation approach, uh, and then the third being the direct comparison. So just to give you a bit of an idea on what I mean by each of those, um, the capitalizing of an annual rental income, what you do there is you need to calculate um, and determine what the annual rental return would be. Um, and then obviously assess an appropriate yield for the property, and then dividing that percentage yield into the rental return to determine the value of the property. Now, it's a much better method of of value assessment for commercial property than it is for residential, um, because typically with commercial, retail, industrial, there's a far greater reliance, um, and the value is far more reliant itself on the, uh, the lease that's in place on that property. Uh, and so the capitalizing method works well. It's it's not too bad from a residential perspective to use as a check method. Once you've assessed and determined what you think the value is, you can then use the capitalization approach to check it, but it's really not the greatest in terms of determining an upfront value. The second being the summation. Now that's simply adding the value of the land to the cost of the improvements. So that's the, the improvements being the house, garage, landscaping, pool, outbuildings, those sorts of things. Um, Now, this is a better method of assessing value for house land packages or where perhaps the improvements are relatively new. Otherwise, you do need to then, if the improvements are a bit older, you need to depreciate the buildings to get a a more accurate reflection of where value sits because you can't have new for old uh, in in determining an existing value. So again, it's typically better utilized in a, uh, a check method. Which brings us to the third and final, um, and the most common and most appropriate for residential property, which is the direct comparison, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Um, The direct comparison approach relies on breaking down comparable sales um, that are directly relevant to the subject property and analyzing how those subject properties compare um, with different elements to the subject property. And then making sure you're using actual sales results as opposed to for sale because you need to know that that property is an actual transaction result 
because obviously, and we'll get into this, and we've we've discussed underquoting and things in previous podcasts. But asking prices, particularly in a rising market, are not not necessarily reflect reflective of a property's actual value. So let's have a look at some of the um, the key components to look at um, when assessing direct comparisons for for a, um, a value methodology. So the first one I've, I'm looking at is location. And there's obviously a reason that um, the most common phrase in regards to property is location, location, location. And it's it's probably one of the most key components that we're going to discuss today, especially around assessing a, a property's land value or its underlying land value. Um, now there's many elements to location that need to be considered. Now obviously it's things like proximity to public transport, if you're in a bayside area to the beaches, uh, perhaps to a town centre, retail strips, parklands, particularly at the moment, public open space is a really important um, element when um, in Melbourne particularly, we're only allowed to venture five kilometres from home. So having access to public um, public open space is really important. But you also need to look at it from a negative perspective too. So is a property, whether it be the comparable or whether it be the subject property, um, too close to commercial development? Or is there a high-rise building that might be overlooking a neighbouring your property? Um, or is it close to or located on a main road and therefore you need to make adjustments in that regard as well. So looking at all of those elements is really important. And another one from a location perspective that um, comes up quite regularly, particularly in some of the middle ring suburbs um, in Melbourne, uh, is school zones. Now, the, the difficulty here is that um, you could have a very, very similar property um, as a comparison to one that you're looking to purchase. One might be on one side of the street and the other on the other side of the street. And if the school zone runs right up the middle of that street, there can be a fairly significant difference in value. So again, it's always a matter of trying to bring it back to comparing apples with apples if possible, um, just so that you, you you do know what you're dealing with. But if you, if you do have something in that um, scope, so looking at school zones and one's inside and one's outside, uh, adjustments clearly need to be made as well. The next component we're looking at is land size, uh, which is generally pretty straightforward. However, there are other elements to, to consider, not just comparing directly the, the square meterage of one property to the other. Um, the shape of a block really comes into play too. So whether you've got an irregular shape block, um, perhaps one that's narrow versus another that might be wide, or even street frontage if you're on a corner, having multiple street frontages could be an advantage as well. So the position of the improvements on the block is also something to consider here when you might be looking at say a, a 400 square meter block versus a 600 square meter block and, and automatically assuming that the 600 square meters is worth more. But if for instance, you've got a property that includes a um, heritage overlay over it, which might mean that the improvements need to be retained, um, they can be renovated and extended, but they need to be retained. If the 400 square meter block has the house positioned right at the front with plenty of scope to add value at the rear versus the 600 square meter block, which has the house situated a lot further back um, and leads, leaves less room to move um, at the rear, it may actually mean that the two sites are quite similar in value. So it's a consideration that needs to be made around land size as well. Um, orientation is the next uh, component that I wanted to look at. And obviously it's very important, uh, particularly when you're looking at blocks of land. Um, but also when you're looking at a property that's got an existing home, how's that home been constructed on the site? Um, and is it maximizing the um, orientation of that block? Um, it's it's something that needs to be considered, uh, but it's 
it's not the the most popular is quite regularly the north facing rear that's what most people are searching for and again when you're looking at a family home that's probably and most likely going to be true however if you look at say for instance the terrace house in um in a north carlton or um in a northern suburb or in a, any in a suburb of melbourne quite often the east west facing um properties can be a, a better orientation than the north facing rear because if you've got a south boundary that's your one of your party walls and then you've got a north boundary that um that has windows facing that way perhaps in a light well in the center of the house um, it also lends itself to then with architects work um really construct uh, a nice property that maximizes the light given that your largest boundary is actually facing north so again it's not a blanket rule that north facing rear is always the best um, in terms of orientation House style is the next component, um, which is really important, uh, and it's in, really important to compare like with like. So it's understanding what the preference of that suburb is that you're looking in. Um, so there's no point in comparing, say, a three-bedroom townhouse to a three-bedroom period home if that suburb um, has a, a leaning towards period homes, or vice versa, if um, townhouses are likely to be the preference rather than an older period home that perhaps hasn't been renovated. Make sure that you're comparing like with like when it comes to house sizes. Sorry, house styles, which leads me to house sizes. Um, and obviously the size of the improvements is, is really important, but it's not just about bedrooms and bathrooms. It's about the size of the living zone, perhaps the number of living zones that are included. And also, particularly in the current climate, office and study um, is really important. But overall, the floor plan is, is one of the key components to a, um, a house size and making sure that it it works, it's easily usable, or if it's not, that it's not too difficult to alter um, if needs be. The condition of a property is really important, obviously, as well. The standard of the renovation really comes into play. Sometimes you might have a house that's um, been renovated 10 years ago versus one that's only been renovated two years ago. But if it's a, um, a fairly slapdash job that's been done fairly recently, well, the older style um, or the, the more older renovation may be a better quality um, and, and more preferable. And then finally, I've got off-street parking as another component. Um, and for some properties, this might just be a standard inclusion and therefore um, really doesn't add that much value. But for many others, it can really create a premium. So for instance, um, some of the houses in uh, a suburb like Middle Park um, in Melbourne having an off-street car space from a housing perspective is very hard to come by and if they if your house does then uh, you will be paying a premium for that luxury um, the other one is for apartments and and then there are the number of car spaces that an apartment has may actually determine whether or not a buyer is actually prepared to pursue that property or not so having off-street park can be a really uh, important component too with uh, with that type of property now by no means are the, the previous um, points that we've discussed the only things that need to be considered um, when analysing comparable sales. And there'll be different types of property um, which will have spe more specific components that will need to be analysed. So for instance, um, views from a high-rise apartment um, will really be important. So when comparing to another property that may even be in the same building, um, if it doesn't have the same aspect, then it may not be um, as desirable. So clearly in the current market, having um, the sales also as recent as possible um, is a really important um, component because it, it creates far more accuracy when the market's moving, not just monthly, but week, weekly and even daily. You need to have 
sales as, as current as possible. So when we're assessing values in a rising market, we typically look at two components, um, the technical value of the property, but also what is market sentiment doing at a particular time. And the, the direct comparison method that we've just spoken about, that typically is used to assess a property's technical value range. Um, now, in a, in a stable market, that may be all you'll need to do, is look at it from a technical perspective. Um, the, the sales will be reflective of market conditions, and that will give you absolute confidence that you know where value sits. But in a rising market, um, market sentiment really comes into play. Um, and there are a number of considerations that you need to do in terms of pounding the pavement to get a really good feel for where market, market sentiment sits, what's driving it, and how strong it is at any particular time to then work on top of your your technical value assessment to put you in a good position to um, to know where you should be sitting from a value point of view. So some of these considerations are perhaps looking at the number of similar properties that are listed for sale or have been listed for sale in recent months. So having a look at those numbers um, and how stable are they? Are they, are they consistently similar types of properties always on the market? Are they increasing or decreasing? Um, so is there a lot more or is, there, it, is it a finite supply at the moment. So if the supply is actually quite limited and this and it is a popular type of property in that location, then the market sentiment is likely to be quite strong for that sort of property. The next thing I would be doing is to observe auctions. Um, attend as many as you can of similar type properties that you're considering purchasing uh, and get a really good feel for the auctioneers in and around the area, get a feel for the momentum that's, that's occurring at these auctions uh, and the urgency that people are bidding with when they're at these auctions, which leads me to observing the number of bidders. And I think this is a really important part, the number of bidders at an auction for similar properties. And you do need to watch a few to get a, a good feel for this and see whether or not it's consistently two people bidding or is it consistently six or seven people bidding at these types of properties or is it starting to drop off or is it starting to pick up? Um, and are you seeing the same people? Because quite often, if you're look, if you're in a very specific suburb that you're looking for, whether it's investment or home, um, you'll start to see the same people attending open for inspections and attending the same auctions. And are those people bidding up to a very similar price point each time? Or are they getting frustrated and the FOMO is kicking in and they're starting to push their budget and getting a bit further up? And that starts to tell you what market sentiment's doing at, at that point in time as well. Um, and then... The other good thing to do is to have a look at perhaps some of the growth rates of similar type properties in recent months. So if you can monitor similar properties that have sold earlier in your search or perhaps even prior to your search, and does the sale price of those that occurred a month or two ago, is it starting to look like good value compared to what's selling at the moment? And if it is, well, then you can see that value is progressing and it's moving and moving fairly quickly. And that's where you need to, to be right on top of that. Um, and see what sort of change is occurring over time. And is that likely to be a change that you're going to need to allow for? Because chances are, if even if you do have to pay a bit more of a premium, by the time you get to settlement, um, it'll probably look like good value in the rising market. So it's most likely um, in this type of market that you will have to step outside your comfort zone in regards to property values. Now, this doesn't mean that you go over your budget. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it's more around... The, your feel for property values. You probably need to step outside your comfort level around what you feel that property's worth. And what we refer to it is 
taking a step in front of the market as opposed to taking a giant leap out in front of the market and then having to wait for it to catch up. But if you're prepared to take that step out in front, um, that's where you'll secure good quality property in a rising market. And providing you don't take that giant leap out in front, um, it won't take long for the market to catch up and uh, and you'll be in a, you'll then have the market working for you as opposed to working against you. So one final thing um, before we get into the stories for this week, don't get caught up in an agent's quote um, and certainly don't rely on the statement of information. So there'll be comparable sales there. Do your own research. Those comparable sales that, that the agent uses as part of that statement of information, they're used to justify their quote price, not to assess the property's actual likely end sale price. There is a very big difference. So you do need to do your own research. Um, they may very well be relevant, but you need to make sure that they are the most relevant sales because they may very well not be. And don't automatically assume, we quite regularly hear people saying, oh, you just have to put 10 or 20% on top of the uh, the quote price to know what to pay. That's not always the case, even in a rising market. You may need more, but you may not need that much. Um, Every auction is very different and every auction needs to have the appropriate amount of due diligence and research done before assessing where value sits. Okay, so let's have a look at a couple of stories for this week and, and we'll talk about actually those, the uh, the quote prices as, a, um, as part of these stories. So I'm using an example um, that I spoke about recently in regards to the underquoting podcast of a property that sold in the eastern suburbs. And I inspected this property on behalf of some clients. They loved the property. However, their budget was never really going to be suitable for it. The house was approximately a 10-year-old home, really lovely property, architecturally designed. Um, I went through my analysis um, with a number of the points that I've mentioned previously in this podcast. and looked at things like the land size, the location, the size of the dwelling, the condition, um, the added extras, it had a pool, that sort of thing. So we looked at all of those sorts of things. And when I did that, the land value alone was looking was going to make it quite difficult for my clients to be able to purchase that property. So um, we reluctantly, they did let it go. I told them that they were going to need more likely over $2.6 million and the property was in the early twos at that stage in terms of its quote. So they decided to let it go and it did end up selling for um, for over 2.7 mil. So having a good idea of where the value was likely to sit saved them a lot of heartache in terms of going through that process when understanding those components showed that the property was going to be worth far more than what um, the quote price initially said. But the second one's a good example of, of where not to get caught up in a quote um, and expect that it's going to go well and truly above the range. And we looked at a, a little house for uh, an investment client early this year, so it was certainly in, a, in the, the very buoyant market that we're experiencing in 2021. And the quote was was quite accurate, we felt, um, and we explained why this was the case to the client and our logic around this assessment of value. Um, now, we were prepared to pay um, over the quote price for this property, but not by 10 to 20% um, for, the, for the reasons that we discussed and, and looking at those elements of that property in the terms of assessing its value. So I attended the auction with my client, um, which at that stage was an in-person auction, it wasn't Zoom. So we were able to sit there and I was able to step them through what was going on. And in the end, I was actually the only person that stuck my hand up to bid. So the property was passed into us and we, we managed to negotiate a sale within the quote range. So if we decided not to pursue that property because we thought it was going to be 10% well above the quote, then we potentially might've missed out. So um, it goes to show you do need to do your own research, look at all those elements when assessing value to make sure that you give yourself 
the best chance to buy. Um, there are opportunities to be had out in the hot market. Market sentiment typically is going to be really important when assessing value, um, but technical gives you that baseline and you've got to understand how to do that as well. So that's about it for today. Thank you again for joining me for, for episode 13 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. Feel free, as always, to share with um, family and friends and, and give us any likes and feedback on whichever um, podcast portal you're listening through. And if you'd like further information on how to make rewarding property decisions, please visit our website, wakeland.com.au. And as always, we wish you all the best with your property decisions.